going to talk about and make a commentary on one of my essays, my recent Medium essay called Jordan Peterson, Sex and the Patriarchy. So Jordan Peterson is criticized and attacked for equating, let's say, the feminine principle or femininity with chaos, right? And the masculine or masculinity as order. This may seem chauvinistic to people in our post-feminist age, even if there's nothing particularly wrong with chaos in itself. Peterson knows that women have been symbolically associated with positive qualities as well, of course, like soul, psyche, wisdom, energy, beauty, compassion, etc. So I'd like to offer a remedy to this uh, conceptual uh, confusion, to this difficulty. So if we say that the male principle is consciousness, then what if we say that the female principle is being? So what the hell do I mean by this? Well, being is everything that is, that exists, that is alive, that is embodied. Being is the world of form. This helps us to give equal symbolic weight and gravity to the masculine and feminine. Consciousness and being arise together. They are complementary. The masculine and feminine are complementary. They should have equal power symbolically. And they always have traditionally, I will argue. So symbolically, consciousness is always higher. It's in the head, right? But higher doesn't always have to be greater or better. The belly uh, in, the, in the Chinese systems of the Don Qian is, uh, you know, uh, symbolically speaking, where being is. It's in, in the belly. Your being is in your belly, so to speak. Your anchor for life. So the earth, therefore, uh -huh, is in the belly, and the feminine is always associated with the earth. So where do the masculine and the feminine meet? They meet in the heart. They meet between consciousness and being in that central location, which is always in the heart. So everybody has a, a head and everybody has a belly. Everybody has consciousness and being. Everybody has masculine and feminine qualities. In a man, the masculine qualities are usually dominant, obviously, right? Whereas in a woman, the feminine is usually dominant. Not always. There are some men who have very powerful feminine um, qualities. And there's some women who have obviously very strong masculine qualities. So nobody is in an absolute sense, fully male or female, right? Except on the, in the most superficial way, right? We, a man has a penis, therefore he's a man. A woman has a vagina, therefore she's a woman. But we're not talking about 
exterior plumbing. We're talking about essential qualities, archetypal qualities. And one of the problems with, let's say, postmodernism is that it doesn't acknowledge these qualities. It doesn't acknowledge these differences. It wants to flatten out all hierarchies to make this sort of sameness. So yes, there's a spectrum, I would say. There's a spectrum of male and female, obviously. And that's fine. But that doesn't mean that male and female, masculine and feminine, literally and symbolically do not exist. That would be absurd. So Peterson also gets criticized for being somewhat of a, a patriarch, right? For equating masculinity with this higher principle and femininity with this lower principle. And I suppose you could understand why feminists would be uh, upset by this. But let's look at it in a different way. So the patriarchy, you know, in the most, let's say, politicized manner means, uh, has been co-opted to mean, right, that there's this sort of world that where men are are dominant and, and treat women as chattel and, and that it's been like that through history. And in 1960, there was this amazing liberation and which, which continues uh, today. However, I'd say that's a political, narrow, ideological use and understanding of the word patriarchy. The patriarchy has become, this word has become a misnomer and it denigrates actually women. It denigrates the secret powers that women have always had. Even if social and political you know, rights are, are, are a rather recent uh, development for women. Masculine power is not all bad, right? Uh, just as feminine power is not all sweetness and light. So we need to understand that the benefits, the positive qualities of masculinity and femininity, as well as their shadow aspects, as well as their deeper, darker aspects. And we also have to understand the historical uh, development of the father lineage of the patriarchy and the matriarchy, the, the, the maternal lineage. The maternal lineage from, let's say, mother to daughter and the patrilineal lineage from father to son. Um, so it's not that controversial to say that in the West, right, uh, we have repressed uh, the feminine archetypes throughout history. And we have infantilized and idealized women and done a lot worse. However, what's more difficult to say, and is a much more subtle point, and it's especially difficult to say in the age of Me Too, is that ironically, Western patriarchy, which means a world that is 
dominated, right, by figures, uh, masculine figures in science, religion, and philosophy. Um, this has also allowed for the conditions for some kind of emancipation of women uh, to be possible. So this is a controversial statement, of course, but the patriarchy has also contributed to women's liberation and made possible social emancipation of women to a certain extent. You just have to look at birth control to get this point. So don't get me wrong here. I'm not denying the historical oppression of women, right? And I'm all for equal opportunity. However, we have to acknowledge a positive male consciousness that has always existed, just has negative women archetypes have always existed. In India, you have this image of Kali. Um, somehow the Christian West seems to have tried to, let's say, sanitize the, the um, feminine archetype, make it benevolent and soft and all of these, let's say, um, cliche feminine traits like softness. and But there's also a wrathful aspect to, to femininity, uh, which is not that acknowledged for good reason, because it's perhaps rather terrifying. Uh, Newman calls it the devouring mother. So you have the devouring mother and you have the tyrannical father. These are the negative masculine feminine archetypes. According to Newman, Jung, Freud, Peterson, it's well documented in the psychoanalytic literature, I believe. So male aggression and violence, toxic masculinity, right? Even that is nothing negative. It can be channeled in the right direction, like in the martial arts. If we didn't have this forceful male, you know, quality, which has to do with rationality, which has to do with a certain kind of cutting through, which is vertical, which is phallic, which is strong, and which can exist in women, I might add, if we didn't have that, have that you know, um, we wouldn't get very far. Maybe there would be, maybe history would never have, have begun, so to speak. So all this to say, the victim oppressive narrative, it's just part of the story. There's always been uh, co-creation, goodwill between men and women. And the world we live in today, where women are freer than ever, is a result of both male and female sacrifice. Both, obviously. I mean, how many men died trying to protect women and children in wars? You know, men have always been responsible for protecting, you know, exposing themselves to violence uh, and death, right? Just as women have always had the uh, have been the more vulnerable population. 
And so was it a higher or lesser number who died in childbirth, you know, of, of women uh, who, are, who were raped in war, etc.? These terrible things that have happened to women uh, or men who were who are slaughtered. You know, you can play the numbers game and try to decide who was more oppressed than than the other. But what we do know is that a great amount of sacrifice and a vast amount mountain of, of bodies <laughs> um, is our historical what we've inherited from history, let's say. And sacrifice is a word that people don't like uh, in the modern world because everything is about rights and privileges and entitlement rather than responsibility. This to me is a genius of, of Jordan Peterson is he's bringing this notion of responsibility and uh, back into the culture, and this is this has incredible importance, as far as I'm concerned. And it's the right critique mm -hmm, of our culture or where we're at right now. Anyway, the matriarchy. So some people have been saying that, you know, prehistorical societies were, were mostly matriarchal and there's some debate about that. We do know that there were mother cults in the ancient world. And we do know that um, traditional societies were much more mother oriented than modern societies. We have... Um, the Venus of Willendorf, which is this sort of feminine, um, the first idol that they've, I guess they found, the religious art of the feminine, which is this massive woman with, who, who represents fertility. In any case, life begins, psychologically speaking, with the mother, with the matriarchy. So for a child... The mother is primary, the father is secondary. So women have, women are religiously, or biologically speaking, first principle. Religiously speaking, you know, in the Orthodox tradition, they talk about women being the mother of God, or they talk about the mother of God. So mother is etymologically close to matter. That's why we speak of Mother Earth or matter, uh -huh. the patriarchy has uh, always been about consciousness thrusting, you know, going upwards, you know, the sky cult, okay, uh, moving beyond nature into time. The patriarchy is the birth of the nightmare of history, but also transcendence. Consciousness is about transcendence, where you could say being is about presence, perhaps, another way to look at it. The matriarchy uh, is about cycles, tides, um, things that the flowing aspect of reality, whereas the patriarchy is this cutting through. Matriarchy is multiplicity, pantheism. It's the earth cult, whereas the patriarchy is the sky cult, the one god cult, monotheism. So the revival of paganism is the revival of the earth cult. 
And it's a necessary, I would say, a necessary counterbalance to monotheism. So uh, Camille Paglia writes about this very well, about the development of culture being this sort of conflict between the Apollonian and the Dionysian, you know, the earth cult and the sky cult. Both are sort of always there, right? There's always this um, paganism in culture. Even in the Catholic Church, a lot of the paganist uh, ritual has never been overcome, right? So let's say both are necessary, the sky cult and the earth cult. Both are, you know, still very present in our culture. And there's a tension between them. There's a play between them. There's a, a battle between them. Uh, the Taoists call love a flowery battle. I love that term. It's between yin and yang, energy and emptiness. All the dualities, form consciousness, consciousness being, activity, stillness, light and dark, nature and civilization, man and woman, all these opposites, which, you know, which are working with each other creatively. That's, and this can be symbolized by the sexual act, right? You know, this creative tension between the masculine and the feminine, which comes together and creates a child. Maybe there'll always be this sort of gulf between the sexes, this abyss, this riddle that can't be solved. I don't think this postmodern attempt to flatten out all gender, gender differences is positive or will it be successful. And in the biological realm, which is very much related to the psychological realm, there's, there's not a difference between your mind and your body. You know, it's, it's, it's connected. It's one thing. There will always be differences. So we should... Again, I think in this, we need to integrate, we need, to un, we need not to equate this sort of idea of equality um, with sameness, right? You know, we're different. It's no problem. Polarization will always exist, and it's a good thing. There will always be a subtle and dynamic dance between, uh, you know, the male and the female. Sometimes it's a love dance. Sometimes it's a war dance. So are men and women the same? Or are they different? There's a Zen phrase which might help us navigate this gender issue. So in Zen they say reality is not one and not two. In gender terms... This means you can't say that men and women are one thing, you know, because there's obvious differences. But you can't also say that they're completely different because they share common ground. There's, uh, most things about us are, are, are similar, right? The size of our brain, you know. But there are differences. So the truth is somewhere, you know, in between. Men and women exist in 
not a relation of power and dominance, but in a relation of, or at least ideally, in a symmetrical relationship, not a hierarchical relationship. It's the opposite sex, right? Not the greater or lesser sex. Men and women are opposite to each other, symbolically. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that in some biblical traditions, you know, the first man, Adam, is androgynous. He's, he's plural in Genesis, apparently, which means he's both male and female. And theologically, God, God you know, separated male and female. Mm -hmm. Maybe the first Adam was lonely. <laughs> um, in any case... He put them in the Garden of Eden and they fucked that up. There was a fall from paradise, which meant basically, which means that man has to work and women have to, women bleed and have menstrual cycles and raise children. Um, this is our situation and symbolically it's about the birth of consciousness and being or let's say consciousness coming into being men and women so men and women are always incomplete they're always looking for we're always incomplete we're always there's something always in us that is desiring union we want to we want so much to come together with our opposite And we feel the, you know, we, we feel the most unified, usually most people, you know, perhaps yogis or saints or people who are in this condition of, of union permanently or it's different. But for most of us ordinary schmucks, the moments, you know, in sexual union is the moment when we, you know, uh, when, when we can taste this sort of Edenic experience. Carl Jung wrote about this a lot. He talked about how there's this, you know, when the split in the original androgynous being occurred, the anima and the animus developed. And the anima is a hidden female in a man, and the animus is a hidden man in every female. And a person possessed by the anima is possessed by the unconscious female. A man possessed by the anima is possessed by the unconscious female. Whereas a woman possessed by the animus is possessed by an unconscious male. You know, an extremely feminine man, maybe possessed by a female spirit, you could say, and an extremely, you know, aggressive, competitive, testosterone adult female is maybe possessed by the anima. And I'm not talking good or bad or saying this is, you know, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this spectrum. I'm not making moral judgments here. But it, I, and this does explain perhaps the, the transgender phenomenon, right? A man who identifies with his anima, he might feel more like a woman 
than a man, right? He might want to change into a woman. He might identify much more with, with a woman than a man. Okay, just to summarize, and this is more or less Neumann's thesis and others who have noticed this and who think about archetypes. We could say that history begins with matriarchy, right? It rises up into patriarchy. And then it returns to, let's say, an integration of the two, which is perhaps beyond hegemony of patriarchy or matriarchy. So we're living in the society that has met much of its patriarchal trappings, but we're also in, in, in the process of discovering and integrating this lost matriarchal world. It's a difficult process and a terrifying one. And I would say that we're living in the age of reconciliation of the matriarchy and the patriarchy. There's a certain amount of conflict uh, between the two, obviously. So the, the matriarchy, you know, the environmental movement, which is much about reintegration of nature in a hyper-masculine society. This is, this is the matriarchy, psychologically speaking, that is. Um, the matriarchy teaches us about subsistence and enduring communities. You know, pre-modern societies, which did have child sacrifice and virgin sacrifice and human sacrifice and um, a lot of things that we wouldn't want today. One of the advantages of them was that they endured, right? They endured for millions of years without any particular change. They lived, they lived in, in a state of, of balance. And they lived in a state of reciprocity with the earth. So perhaps this is the positive sense of reintegrating the, the matriarchy and what we have to do, even if we do not want to romanticize this societies. And the dark side might be a return to tribalism. So these cultures can teach us about reciprocity in a world where we're on the verge of ecological collapse. So the embrace of the feminine in the postmodern world is, I would say, and perhaps this is where I differ slightly than Peterson, it's a necessary and positive stage, even if it does have its deep shadows, which Peterson describes very well, in my opinion. So the concept of uniting the masculine and the feminine, you know, of the, these two being in balance is, is very present in, in traditional societies. Um, in the, the Native Americans have this idea of the Mother Earth and the Great Spirit, you know, and that's the matriarchy and the patriarchy, perhaps. Consciousness and being, perhaps. So our modern patriarchy has been more about the expansion and the development of masculine consciousness and the ego individual. This is beautifully outlined in Neumann's book, The Origin and History of Consciousness. And Neumann believed that, you know, all this depth psychology and psychoanalysis 
and you know everything we see you know all the the discoveries of, of the 20th century are related to many of them are related to uh, the need to look back to these these ancient origins and um, reintegrate this repressed mother cult Jung thought that Christianity was instable because it was a you know the Christian Trinity was instable um, because it was a Trinity whereas a stable you know a stable society would be a quaternity which would have uh, you could say masculine feminine or you could say the father son uh, the mother daughter and that would be a more balanced uh, a more balanced culture on the other hand you know uh, history, uh, consciousness, this this patriarchal society is breaking through this, uh, you know, uh, stasis of just nature existing on its own without any kind of change, evolution. So in the postmodern world, the weakening of the patriarchy, you know, Everybody wants to bring down the patriarchy, right? And then this celebration of all the deeper feminine archetypes. Um, it's, it's a bit naive, right? Uh, because we should be careful to understand that the, the matriarchy is not only benevolent. It's not all sweetness and light. There's a lot of dangers in tribalism. And so we don't want a pure matriarchy. And we don't want tribalism. We don't want this, you know, archaic world. Um, and we don't want a pure patriarchy. Um, but, you know, both those things on their own constitute an imbalance. The darkness of the, the matriarchy can be seen in, for example, castration cults, which existed everywhere in the pre-modern world. Again, I got this in, in Neumann. And we can see, uh, I, like to, I like to make the observation that in the Me Too movement, you have the psychological um, manifestation of these castration cults, where men are toxic, and there's this rape culture, and, and there's this idea that we need to replace the man, right? And, and, and that female hegemony would be, is what we want. But it's not power that we should be looking for, right? It's not female hegemony or male hegemony. It's, it's that we can work together. It's balance and harmony of, of these two, you know, uh, you know aspects of, of our nature. A while ago, I wrote this essay called um, Fifth Wave Feminism, which was a little bit uh, tongue-in-cheek. It was a little bit polemic. But it suggested that women focus less on victimology and more on their strengths as women. Um, and that we do need to, yes, uh, integrate the positive aspects of the matriarchy, the mother cult, the matrilineal lineage, with its positive values of community and subsistence. But also, we need to celebrate male virility and creativity. That this is, is a, this is important, right? And if we're just celebrating female wisdom and compassion, 
and softness and community values and, and all that, you know. Mm. If we want to throw the the patriarchy, you know, out out the window, you know, we're, we're just gonna we're just we're just gonna it's just gonna we're just gonna create more and more boring um, culture wars and wars of the sexes. So the feminists, I believe, need to acknowledge the shadow of femininity, just as as males need to acknowledge their own, you know, dangerous aspects of of masculinity, because masculinity is obviously quite dangerous. (laughs) And we need to be conscious of both poles, rather than have an unconscious patriarchy or an unconscious matriarchy, that the the matriarchy needs to become uh, conscious and the the patriarchy needs to become conscious and the two need to come together and transcend themselves, so to speak. That's sort of my vision. And that's the vision of waking up from what James Joyce called the nightmare of history. And the nightmare of history is this separation, is this primal separation of men and women. Uh, it's the, it's this, that's what the fall is, right? It's this intense separatism. So we have to make the father lineage and the mother lineage conscious and go beyond this adolescent whining stage of victimology. That's what I think anyway. So thanks for listening. I do have a Patreon page. And please like and subscribe if you found this of any interest. And thank you very much for listening.